Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, where we discuss digital transformation and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here, some of the most innovative thinkers and leaders in healthcare and technology talk about how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello again, everyone. This is Patty, and welcome back to my podcast. It's my honor and privilege to have as my special guest today, Mudit Garg, CEO and founder of Qentus. Mudit, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Patty. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate the chance to be here, and uh, looking forward to our conversation. Wonderful, wonderful. So let's get started. Uh, tell us uh, briefly about the company and its evolution. And what is the marketplace need that Qventus is trying to address? Yeah, it's a great question. So we provide a solution for hospitals and health systems to manage their operations in real time. And specifically where we focus is patient flow automation. So reducing length of stay, excess days in the inpatient environment, improving the throughput in the ED environment, things like that. Our platform has both artificial intelligence and behavior science built together. And what it does is it empowers frontline managers so that they can identify, predict bottlenecks before they happen, but not just stop there, actually orchestrate solutions, drive accountability long-term. And then we layer on top of that a set of operational experts to bring those new capabilities to life in the hospital's environments with process design and management practices alongside. So that's the market need. Where it comes from, as you know, is just this immense pressure on hospitals and health systems across the country right now to drive a lot more efficiency. And this has been true for some time, actually, like you asked about the evolution of the company. And for me, a lot of this came from probably 10, 12 years ago, doing process and performance improvement in health systems. And I'm sure, I don't know if you probably felt the same way, but I definitely felt working in the hospital the first time that it was remarkable, the quality of the people, how world-class equipment, world-class therapies, world-class clinicians are available at most hospitals that we work with. But on the other hand, as a patient, we really struggle to provide them with world-class care. And it's really in spite of immense uh, diving catches and super heroic efforts from these clinicians. So it's really an odd dichotomy that those two things exist simultaneously. So the market need really, as we dug into it, and as I dug into it early on, was how do you create operational reliability? How do you make everything else around the clinical care reliable, repeatable, and mature so that that world-class operations can exist to truly unlock the potential of people? So that's kind of where we started from. The evolution of that has been very interesting. I was, you know, maybe biased a little bit to look at data as it's one of its key ingredients to create that operational reliability from the beginning. But it was very clear in the beginning when we started focusing on AI and and ML that the prediction was very important. The prediction of the bottleneck was very important, but not sufficient to drive that. So that was the first phase of the company. We went from looking at the data and seeing that people were excited about dashboards, but didn't log in when they got busy. People were excited about machine learning, but just putting a machine learning score on a board didn't do anything. That didn't drive any action. And what was really needed was action. So we built actually a really robust platform then that can take different parts of a machine learning distribution of a prediction and activate different decisions and actions over mobile, over uh, boards, over email, text, many, many different mechanisms. 
And that was really, really valuable in translating the insight into action. But as is the case with everything, we saw that in the immense chaos that exists in an operational environment like a hospital, things slowly start reverting back to the mean. So then we built an accountability engine. And what this does is it's pretty remarkable. You know, if you're in the world of manufacturing, you, there's something monitoring every machine so you can do preventative maintenance of the machine before it breaks down. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if you're in a health system environment, there's tons and tons of processes going on all the time. What's the equivalent preventative maintenance you can do? And that's really behavioral, right? You could have, if you're seeing this unit do a phenomenal job of planning, how can you make sure as a leader you can praise them? If this unit, the person's changed or somehow that quality of the process is dropping, how can you actually make sure that there is coaching involved at the right time? So our statistical monitors are monitoring all these process metrics continuously and then surfacing opportunities for praises and opportunities for coaching for leaders so they can scale themselves. So those are the different phases of the company, you know, going from just information and dashboards to machine learning and prediction to action to then the accountability engine coming through. And that was the core of the platform that we built in our evolution. I'd say the last probably evolutionary phase is recent uh, in the last year or so, whereas we went deeper and deeper in the market, we saw that to truly bring these capabilities to life, we needed to create a set of predefined best practices of how to use these capabilities, where there's predefined artificial intelligence models and software, but also operational processes and management practices and then put together a team of world-class experts on clinical operations, doctors, nurses, PI experts, to help bring all this to life. So those have been the evolutions in trying to address that market need through the course of the company's life. Very interesting. There's a lot to unpack from what you said. Uh, A couple of things that come to my mind right away, that uh, no matter how good a solution is, unless you're integrated into the clinical workflow of a hospital, it's very hard to get users to adopt it and use it. And so it seems like that was kind of one of the early insights you had, and you quickly went about addressing that. What I do like about the fact is this closing the loop, if you will, in terms of getting people to not just use the platform, but holding themselves accountable in some ways through some kind of a feedback loop, which tells them how they are doing in order to avoid the reversal to the mean, which, as you know, is is the bane of all management consulting. That's right. And right. so, interesting, we'll unpack some of that. Just tell us a little bit about, from a growth perspective, I'm aware that you've raised a significant amount of venture capital. Do you want to just quickly walk us through uh, how much you've raised, who your major investors are? Yeah, absolutely. I think from a growth standpoint, we've been fortunate in partnering with our health system partners to see growth in the work we do with them and concurrently, therefore, in the investment and that we can make in growing the company as well. We've raised to date about 45 million and we've been very, very blessed to have some very top tier investors from the Valley and in healthcare specifically as well. Some of the largest investors are Mayfield, Bessemer Ventures, Norwest Ventures. We also have by Combinator as a very early seed investor in the company and many other phenomenal seed investors in the company. And what's been amazing is also some of the customers who work with us have also felt compelled enough by the results they've seen to um, become strategic partners and invest in us as well. Right. Are you allowed to name any of your customers? Do you want to name one or two just for our listeners? Yeah. I mean, Dignity and New York Presbyterian are two of the ones that have actually both been customers but also invested in the company as well. 
uh, dignity in New York Presby? Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Switching back to our, our topic at hand, which is your solution and your platform, how do you see yourself in the context of uh, the ecosystem in which you, the technology ecosystem in which you operate, namely electronic mm-hmm. health record vendors, uh, big tech firms that are building a lot of the capabilities that you've talked about in terms of advanced analytics, AI, machine learning-based uh, decision-making, mm-hmm. and uh, last but not least, other digital health startups who may be onto the same kind of ideas that you have. How do you place yourself in that context and, and in that milieu? Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's really exciting time to be in healthcare. There is just so much innovation and excitement across the ecosystem. I mean, to start with, I mean, EHRs are super critical, right? They, they, we complement the investments health systems have made in the EHRs. Without that, we wouldn't exist. If the, if, the, if the data and the workflow itself wasn't digitized, it'd be impossible to drive any kind of improvement. What our customers have found is that, you know, they've made substantial investments in these areas of operational improvement over the years, both in terms of, you know, it could be in terms of process improvement, it could be in terms of technology investment. If you look at length of stay across the board, for example, that has really not budged much over the last 10, 15 years. It's increasingly plateaued. So when they look at looking to partner with us, what they're looking for typically is the next step function improvement. And what really stands apart is one, let's take the inpatient, for example. In the inpatient environment, we aren't just helping you provide an understanding of the workflow as is, but our machine learning algorithms are A, identifying the problems, like this patient may need an MRI upfront several days in advance, then helping orchestrate the action, and then helping manage the accountability. That's super unique because one of the things that, as you talk about the closed loop part of it, just providing the AI and machine learning is not is, is simply not good enough. In fact, it can sometimes be even more confusing to end users. But closing that loop, providing the AI machine learning, helping create the action, and then helping create long-term sustainability, that's what is super critical to our customers, and that's where they see it most different. Of course, EHRs are a pretty critical ingredient to that. The process improvement consulting teams that exist are a pretty critical ingredient from a mindset standpoint to all of that. But this infusion of AI and behavior science, not just AI, but the behavior science of, if you think of like, how do I change behavior as a human? I need to have a cue, something prompting me to do something. I need to have the right thing to do, be the easy thing to do. And I need to have some feedback and accountability. We have incorporated those very principles in creating this organizational behavior change as well. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. So is it fair to say, you mentioned length of stay a few times, so is it fair to say that that is one specific problem that you're focused on and have been able to demonstrate uh, results? And by extension, is that kind of the main use case for your platform? So our platform is actually fairly extensible. Patient flow ends up often being the first place customers start because that's one of the things for health systems among many, many things they can do Length of stay and patient flow is something that no matter where in the spectrum of fee-for-service to fee-for-value transition you might be, it's actually one of those rare problems where the incentive of the customer, the patient, the incentive of the hospital, of CMS, or the payer is all aligned. No one wants the patients to have to stay an excess amount of time in the hospital. The patient doesn't want that. The payer doesn't want that. The hospital doesn't want that. So that is an area where we've seen a tremendous amount of pool as a result from the market. And increasingly, as hospitals and health systems look at Medicare break-even, how do we break even on a Medicare patient long-term? Length of stay is such a massive part of that problem that, that we've seen a strong amount of pull there. 
But our platform extends beyond that to throughput in the ED, the operating room. We have work in the outpatient access phase. We are working on system operations similarly as well. But for most health systems, inpatient length of stay has been a place that they have had strong interest in, often a place they start with us. Right. And we have seen, as you asked the question, pretty significant improvements there as well, statistically significant reductions in length of stay between 0.3 to 0.7 days, which is phenomenal if you're a capacity-constrained institution in being able to serve more patients, and if you're not a capacity-constrained information in terms of being able to reduce the cost to serve patients. So is the business case fairly straightforward then because there is a single number that you can track, which is length of stay, and if you reduce the length of stay by a factor of you know, 0.2 or 0.7, as you mentioned, the results kind of automatically speak for themselves and they're visible. Is that a fairly straightforward business case? The business case is straightforward. The problem is complex, yes. I think that would be a fair assessment. The business case, I mean, length of stay is is, is a top initiative for many, many health systems in, in their impetus to drive down unnecessary cost. And so, therefore, that already exists. Any excess day a patient spend is at least $1,000 of excess cost in the hospital, along with the propensity to have an hospital-acquired condition or infection or other pieces and the lack of satisfaction that comes from it. So not even counting for these other downstream effects, just the core excess cost is fairly significant by itself. Yeah, yeah. Who is your uh, target audience for something like this? Who do you normally start conversations with? Is it a CIO, a chief digital officer, chief medical officer? That's a good question. I mean, the operators, the chief operating officer, the CNO, CMO, those are ones who are already strategically often focusing on this problem, right? The problem of length of stay, throughput, flow. We help remove the cognitive burden from the frontline teams. It helps with burnout. So those are the folks that are often probably most directly experiencing the problem and looking to solve it. The CR is a very critical stakeholder in the discussion, right? Because we are complementing the EMR they may have other tech investments. We want to make sure we have a good understanding of data transfer and data lifts and all of those things. So they are a pretty critical component. And then the last piece of it, which is given the compelling financial return, the CFOs are often important stakeholders as well. It can be between 10 to $100 million of annual financial benefit for a system. So the CFOs end up being critical to that conversation as well. So if you look back at the past several years uh, that you've built this business and built the platform and gone through the evolution. Can you talk to what have been the most significant challenges that you've faced in really validating your solution against a known problem? So the most significant challenges in validating or, or, you, or those two questions, validating the solution and the challenges we faced? The length of stay problem is a well-known problem. It's been a problem. Yes. So when you went about trying to sell the idea, or Solve it. what were the most significant right challenges you had to overcome in that process. Makes sense. That makes sense. So, I mean, look, it is a big, big problem, right? Like when a patient, for example, is being taken care of in an inpatient environment, there are just so many things involved. There are physicians taking care of them. There are nurses taking care of them. There are procedures happening. They're going for imaging. There are your pharmacists helping them with medication reconciliation. Just like there's so many things being touched. It's a fairly complex problem. The first thing that we had done and we needed to do was just to make sure we understood the complexity and size of the problem we are going after. It is a hard problem. The next challenge is healthcare data, as you know, is often hard and messy, right? Because unlike advertising, where all the data is machine generated, 
much of the healthcare data is not machine generated it's human generated so by its nature it's messy so for us one of the very core needs early on was to build a pretty significant platform capability to do real time and automated data quality checks right so we can pick up when things are off not looking right so that they don't affect all the downstream applications significantly so that was one of the big challenges just the the quality of the data the variability of the data how do you make sure you know for example building a machine learning model in an academic environment with controlled data where you can take out the outliers where you have historical data that is been clean is way different than running that in real time so first like that was a challenge to solve the second piece is also just recognizing how much change people are going through already in healthcare on the front lines how little time they have and to some extent how much fatigue of change fatigue may set in in situations like that and therefore not just taking hey this is a really cool prediction and putting it up on the board and expecting something to come out of it but really very thoughtfully designing the closed loop that we were talking about right. and i think that was a an important challenge to recognize and to work towards because otherwise like it it is easier in some ways to solve the mathematical problem that is to be solved but forget the true problem of trying to drive change in the environment so those i would say are probably two of the challenges along the path that we had to face and that shaped i think as i said in the beginning of the conversation our evolution from just predicting to predicting and prescribing actions to actually building the accountability engine in the platform and then to actually creating these prescriptive proven methodology combinations of tech and process that we now deploy through a team on the ground right that's fascinating we hear a lot about the struggles of digital health startups you know death by pilot long sales okay. cycles so on and so forth now healthcare organizations want the innovation they need the innovation right. right there is there is alignment around the problem to be solved to your point around something like length of stay but in reality executing on an innovation program is incredibly hard as you pointed out what should healthcare organizations be doing based on your experience so far to accelerate the adoption of digital innovation you know with all these constraints you don't have time you know we got 50 other things right. but we also want the innovation right yeah i mean it, it is hard right it is really hard so i understand where it comes from because the business and the care they are providing already is complex there's a lot of changing in the market so that takes a good amount of the bandwidth away from the day to day already and so then in a way it becomes harder but i think what i've seen very effective organizations do is one really think about what are the no brainer moves right you know we may not know what are the latest cms guidelines going to come on certain things we may not know how the regulatory environment might shape But what are the no-brainer things that we need to do as health systems, no matter what? So, for a lot of them, like reliability and cost, then comes to the top. Okay, so that's that. Then I think oftentimes, then saying, okay, what are the one or two or three partners we can pick and go deep with them? And that doesn't mean like you have to start with the big bang right away, but just means that like you engage with them deeply. And I think that is super critical from an innovation standpoint. That it's very hard to have a spray and pray kind of an approach where you have your hands in a lot of things or you just assessing the market but actually doing it because i think for the organization to see some wins and to see some action is super critical honestly even if it doesn't result in wins to see that something was talked about done and learned from is pretty critical and the last thing i'd say i think from an innovation standpoint that's really critical 
is that finding the operational alignment is important, right? The innovation cannot be devoid from what the people are feeling day to day. That operational alignment has to exist. And I think in doing these three things, what we found is like, like for example, for us, like we had to, we work with early customers, went deep on their specific problems, create these best practices, these AI models and all of that stuff. So what customers then innovating appreciate is there are parts of what we do where they don't need to reinvent the wheel. And there are parts in the innovation where we are learning with them. And just sort of appreciating where, not trying to reinvent the wheel entirely, right? But actually taking what's already there and then actually finding unique ways of improving the innovation as well is something that I find to be effective. It is a hard space, right? So the sales cycles for enterprise in general are hard, not just healthcare, they're long. But I think if we can do these things, then when you align with someone, you find the right partners, and you actually make sure that that actually drives true impact to the business and starts fueling an appetite for more and more innovation over time. You know, one of my guests on one of my earlier podcasts mentioned that she benefited greatly from having the sponsorship and support of some early believers and risk takers in their client environment. And let's face it, there is a lot of risk involved in innovation. Of course. You know, the healthcare is a margin-constrained environment. There's not a lot of risk. So have you also had that experience, you know, the early believers who make a huge difference, who you co-innovate with and, you know, somehow make it happen? Has that been your experience as well? Yeah, I mean, if you look back all the way back in the beginning, now we have a ton of outcomes and we have customers and such. So it's, it's a little bit of a different risk profile today. But if I go back three, four years ago, those same questions existed. And I think Mercy was a great example of an institution where we had operational champions, the head of their ED, for example, the president of business integration across the board, folks who just jumped in, worked hard with us, understood it. But you have to have those early champions who are willing to connect the business pain to the problem to be solved, to the solution that's coming through and help sort of get everyone excited and fired up on that. I think that's that's absolutely critical, especially even more so in the earlier days. Of course, as you go deeper in the market, people's evaluation and, and sort of reasons to buy change and become more and more business focused. But early on, that is absolutely critical. Fascinating. So I guess we're coming up to the end of our time here. I have just one last question for you. You're a classic Silicon Valley digital health startup. So tell us about what are the upsides and the downsides of being in the Valley? Yeah, that's a good question. Not surprisingly, everything sort of has its upside and downside. I mean, what I love about being in the Valley is you have access to world-class talent, right? Technical talent, business talent, people who've been at the vanguard of AI and behavior science and innovative technology and and most importantly, who have scaled uh, businesses and transformation of industries in other industries before. And that is amazing and it's very, very critical to have that ecosystem around you and to have that quality of talent and a team to be brought to the bear for the problem you're trying to solve. I mean, the flip side of that is, of course, it's the value has become extremely both costly and sometimes in that way hard to scale. And just as so much of the innovation has come out of here, I think over time now, a lot of the talent is actually going to other places in the country, which is phenomenal. And that's allowing us to like create much, much more of a, a remote-enabled culture as well, where folks can still have the core of the same ethos that came out of here, but actually scale it across the country and beyond. So that's sort of the upside and downside of being here. The upside, as I said, is like just the, the quality of talent and the experience of folks before. 
the downside is prop perhaps the cost and sort of the distraction value that exists by being in the, in the valley as well not to mention the traffic on 101 <laughs> yeah. yeah the traffic on 101 as you know is is, is not a friendly there yes you're <laughs> absolutely right <laughs> mohit it's been such a pleasure talking to you and uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing your deep insights from all the work that you've done and congratulations on the progress so far all the very best to you and your team and we'll be watching Yeah no thank you so much Barry it's uh, it's always a great conversation with you I'm super excited to continue the conversation and thank you for having me here today We hope you enjoyed this podcast subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info@thebigunlock.com at